part of that NRE excitement is the fact that it's all new you're discovering. Part of the trick with that is being sure to pick things that sit in a good area, like in between what's comfortable and what's totally uncomfortable. Pushing yourselves a little bit, whether it's we're going to go to this event in a different town and make up fake names for ourselves. Like, right. I don't know. I'm just, I'm making something up here. Right. But it's like, Ooh, we're in on this thing together. It's a little scary. What if we screw it up? But honestly, like you're not hurting anyone. There aren't actually bad consequences if you get found out, except maybe some embarrassment, you know, but it's like looking for what are those little things that you can do that are just like a little bit unknown, a little bit scary, a little bit challenging that you get to do together. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're trying out something that we haven't done in a while, and that is going through and answering some questions that we have gotten from listeners. This, I think the last one we did was a couple years ago or something like that, but we get a lot of questions that people you know, will post on social media or they'll send to us on Facebook or mention the Discord, things like that. And we do our best to answer them when we can, or at least point to resources or relevant episodes, but we just don't have the time that we would like to dedicate to really getting into all of those questions and really discussing them more thoroughly with people. And so we decided to make an episode out of it. We're going to be doing another one next month, and we're kind of seeing if this might be something that we want to keep doing. So let us know if you've got more questions and how you like these. So... We have tried to group the questions in this particular episode a little bit on theme, so they're kind of similar to each other, and hopefully these also might answer some questions for you that you might have that are like a little bit similar to these. And so, you know, hopefully your questions might get answered by the answer to someone else's question. (laughs) And so of the questions that we've gotten, we uh, asked for permission from people to share those on the show, and those are the ones that we're going to cover here today. Yeah, let me think about if there's any disclaimers or caveats we need to give. I feel like whenever you give advice, <laughs> I mean, we, we don't. Like we're not clinical uh, professionals. Right. We're not medical professionals. We're yeah. not legal professionals. We're fix your plumbing. No, can't fix your plumbing. But we're an advice show today. We're giving advice. <laughs> <Perfect>. So <laughs> we're giving our thoughts. Yeah, maybe we'll put it at that. You know, these yeah. are our thoughts, but ultimately, this is your life. Mm-hmm. And you have to make the decisions that are right for you. Don't just do it because we said so. Totes. Yeah. All righty. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to jump right into this first one. So we got a listener question that says, poly relationships often include a lot of transitions, especially in long-term situations. What are some routines or rituals you think partners reconnecting after not seeing each other for a while could use to reconnect? Okay. Yeah. yeah. This this is a really good one, actually, because I love routine and I love rituals. We did cover a little bit of this on, oh gosh, way back in episode 186 about Whoa. reconnecting when you don't want to. Now, the reason it's called reconnecting when you don't want to is because it was specifically about the phenomenon of coming back together, maybe into the same space with a partner after one of you has been on a date. And for some people, that brings up some weird, uncomfortable feelings. And so it was mostly about working through that. But in that episode, we did give some suggestions for ways that you might consider reconnecting together if you haven't seen each other for a while. I believe the stuff we talked about in that episode included, you know, something as simple as like going for a walk together, like getting out into nature together. We also talked quite a bit about parallel play as well, which that's more for the situation of like, if you're a person where it feels a little bit hard to make that transition, if it's been a while, or if you've been around another partner, for some people, it's a little bit harder to make that switch that engaging in parallel play as in, we're going to engage in maybe the same activity or slightly different activities next to each other instead of 
together at exactly the same time, just to kind of help get your nervous systems used to being around each other again. Now, that's a very particular use case. I guess there's other reconnecting activities if it's been a while, you know, I guess such as like your favorite date night activity. What suggestions the two of you have? Yeah, I mean, this is something the two of you do. Right. I was going to say, this is something that Dedeker and I have done a lot because we've spent, I would say, the majority of our relationship part-time long-term from or part-time long distance from each other, right? Where we would spend parts of the year apart and parts of the year together, often living together. So like very close and then like on opposite sides of the globe. So we've had lots of practice with this. And I think kind of to go with what Dedeker was mentioning about like the parallel play thing of just being kind of around each other is something that I have noticed over the years is we kind of go through these phases of like when we first see each other again, there's, you know, all that giddy, excited, kissy, kissy, you know, oh, wow, this is amazing. Oh, gosh, look, you smell this way. Wow, that's great. I've missed that. <laughs> you know, there's like, oh, your skin feels so good. You know, there's like all those sorts of things. But then it's like there's also kind of this realization that switching between those two modes of being long distance and then being in close quarters with each other is also kind of a transition. And so I think we've kind of naturally over time developed this kind of like, yeah, 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 at first. And then a little bit of this, we're not going to try to rush and like do everything together or like do all the dates or all the fun stuff right away because it's like, I mean, it's just not sustainable, but also it's kind of this shock to the system. And so I've noticed that we kind of have this like settling in period a little bit. And this is also when we're coming back together for a longer time, you know, like we're going to be together for a few months. If it were, oh, we get a weekend together, that's going to be different, right? Like if I have friends or, or partners that I only get to see for a weekend twice a year or something like that, that's different, right? Then it's like, let's do all our fun stuff and exhaust ourselves because then we've got time to recover afterward. So I guess that's kind of more what I wanted to throw in is almost just the like, having that understanding because I know that earlier on in our relationship sometimes I at least I don't know if you experienced this Dedeker but would have a lot of would feel a lot of pressure to like make that reunion really amazing and special and and all the things and and even if maybe I was kind of feeling exhausted or seeing you feeling that way or just being overwhelmed it's like no but I've got to make it amazing because we haven't seen each other and letting go of that pressure has helped a lot yeah I think that would be my number one thing, especially if you're coming back to seeing a person that you you may be encountering for a long period of time after just seeing them for the first time after a while to try to figure out ways in which to take the pressure off and not uh, necessarily jump in immediately with both feet, but kind of do things that are normal for you in your space potentially if a person is coming into your space and and try to kind of ease them into the situation a bit i this yeah actually i recall dedeker a few years ago i think it was quite a few years ago at this point but i picked her up from the airport once after like you know transatlantic flight and you were coming over and like hanging out at my place right. before coming to see Jace. Yes, and I remember now. And I passed out in like a, correct. a jet lag nap yep. for like six hours in your bed. And, and I was like, you know, I was really excited to see you. And I really like had all these ideas and plans and thoughts about like maybe what we were going to do. And I had like gotten you a gift and like done all these things. And I honestly like felt really sad when you just like it's fine Mm. it's fine in retrospect obviously but like but at the time i was like kind of let down because my idea of this perfect reunion didn't end up happening and so you know i think like internally understanding that that may not be what actually occurs and to be okay with that to let it go to maybe not have expectation and just like easing each other into the moment, especially if you're going to be going on a really long flight, you know, because somebody's coming back from a really long flight and a whole day of traveling or multiple days of traveling, like just just let it be. It's going to be okay. And you'll have your time to hang out and, and do fun things. 
I'm so sorry to let you oh, down no. in that way. If it no, if it no. makes you feel any better, I was so happy to be able to sleep on your bed. Yeah, after no, I mean that that's long fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm sure, and that's what you needed in that moment, and and it was good for me to respect that. So yeah, so yeah, there's a part two to this question, sort of on the opposite end of things. What are some routines or rituals you would recommend to help partners feel more secure when they're saying goodbye to each other, especially for an extended length of time? Definitely been through this one a kajillion yeah. times wow. in the past couple of years with a lot of travel and traveling for extended periods of time. And this is going to be sort of repeating the same thing. But again, when you're leading up to departing from somebody, there can be that same pressure. Of, yeah. Gosh, I've, e- oh boy, so many yeah, times a, I've felt this. Exactly. A combination of we need to do all the things, like all the things we didn't have time for. Like now we got to cram it in. Like every single second, we got to make sure that it's meaningful. Like, no time can be wasted and we have to make sure the goodbye is really meaningful. And I've definitely found time and time again, the more you can take that pressure off of yourself, the better. It doesn't mean that you don't do anything. You know, I think even a really simple ritual of we're going to go out to, you know, our favorite restaurant or our favorite little cafe and just spend some time together. And, you know, and then we're going to go to bed and go to sleep and it's going to be great. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I think that roping in both we're going to do something a little special and meaningful and also we're going to be very intentionally kind of creating a feeling of normalcy around that at least for me helps me feel better and more secure because I know I'm acknowledging us you know parting ways but also there's not all this pressure to like every single second has to be meaningful and romantic that it's okay for us to just kind of be in space together and still like go to the grocery store or like watch a TV show or whatever the things that we would normally do. I know for myself, when I've gone and left my partner for a gig at Disneyland, I did that two years in a row for an extended period of time, like two months where I ended up staying in China and singing over there that I found like the last few days before my leaving to be super hectic because You know, I was getting all of my shit together and all of my clothes, you know, what am I going to pack and what am I going to take and all of those things. And it did kind of cut into that potential time with my partner. And so just to be aware of that and potentially also, if you know that things are going to be super hectic to maybe have some contingency plans around that to either make those really special dates happen beforehand, like perhaps the weekend leading up to the time in which you're leaving, or making sure that you get all of your stuff done before you're about to leave. I think I didn't do a good job of that both times. And it just like, like right up to the last second, I was packing and doing a bunch of shit. And that did potentially make the time that I had with my partner not as special. And and I kind of regret that. Yeah, that's that's great that you said that because that was the thing I was going to bring up was kind of planning your kind of whatever your special final thing is, whether it's, you know, dinner at your favorite restaurant together or, you know, some activity you like or like a whole day of having sex or, you know, whatever it is that, that for the two of you is this like fun special thing is, yeah, to do it a little early because saving it right for that last day. It's like there's so many oh, other God. stressors yeah. and things And then I guess the other thing to keep in mind is that everyone else that your partner knows or that you know is also wanting to get their last chance to see you or or to see them. And so kind of making room for that and kind of realizing that so that then, you know, say if you're the one who's staying behind, then it's like we get to have our special thing, but I'm not contributing to the extra stress so that then... You know, it's not like it's not like we look back after we've left and just thought, oh, I remember the stuff on that last day, but not the stuff that happened a week before. It's like, no, we remember what was great and what mm-hmm. was special and what was meaningful. And it doesn't have to be at one specific time. So so I guess I'd say that is kind of similar, similar to what Emily said, but just like recognizing all those things and focusing on just helping each other feel good rather than, you know, trying to meet some kind of you know, that that magical fairy tale thing of like, oh, we're having this great night all the way up till the point where I drop you off at the airport or whatever it is, you know, because that's just actually very stressful in real life. Alrighty, let's move on to the next question, which is, do you have any tips for communicating boundaries about mental health to a partner? I keep coming up with things like, 
I will not be in a relationship with a partner who doesn't support my mental health care plan. But that doesn't seem right when what I really mean is that I will prioritize my mental health over any romantic slash sexual relationship. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, first of all, I feel like this person already started to answer their own question a little bit about this is actually really what I'm prioritizing and valuing thinking about heading into a new relationship or connecting with a new partner, potentially. I think when it comes to communicating any boundaries in a relationship, but let's particularly focus on this one about your own mental health, your own mental health care plan and what you want in a relationship. I I think there's a lot of different ways that your boundaries can look and a lot of different ways the boundaries can be enforced. I mean, this one of I'm not going to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't support my mental health care plan. I don't think that's a bad place to start. But boundary enforcement doesn't always have to look like the most extreme version of it, like cutting this person off or leaving the relationship. You know, it could look like I'm going to speak up if I feel like a partner is maybe encroaching or not understanding or not prioritizing my mental health in the same way that I want to prioritize my mental health. And so that could just be your boundary is I'm going to speak up. And then if that person continues to do things that you feel like crosses that line for you, then you can go to, to more intense measures. Or it could be when you're in the dating process with somebody, it could be, I'm just going to make a mental note about the ways that this person handles the topic of mental health. You know, if I talk about going to therapy or if I disclose about how I'm treating my depression or things like that, what's their reaction? What do they share? Do they talk about their mental health? Do I get a sense that they care about this and support this? And maybe it's just I'm going to prioritize making those kind of mental notes as I'm getting to know somebody and really prioritizing that as I'm evaluating whether or not I want to get into a relationship with this person. Yeah, this is something that the three of us have actually been talking about a lot on our own is about not just boundaries, but all the other things kind of connected to that, right? This like boundaries and your values and your priorities And then like rules and agreements you might have with partners or just sort of personal policies you might have for yourself. And there's like a lot of different ways this could look. And I guess the thing I would want to bring up here, and and I think that the person asking this question is even kind of feeling this a little bit. And that's that while we think boundaries are, are super valuable and they're really important, I think that Uh, a problem that a lot of people have run into as it's like, oh, I've heard about boundaries and I hear they're great. I should do them. It's like, yes, but boundaries are kind of like this last line of defense. They're like this thing when when you're at those points where it's hard to make a decision about like how to take care of yourself or places where you consistently kind of let yourself stay in situations that are bad. Like boundaries can be a really helpful way for you to kind of set some policies to help protect yourself. But in terms of communicating what we want from our partners and what matters to us, I would actually argue that boundaries are not the ideal way to do that in general, because they're more like that last line of defense. And if you're there on your boundaries all the time with your partners, like that's not going to be a very healthy relationship for either of you, really. And so I would encourage you here to to do kind of what you're saying, which is what I mean is I'm going to prioritize my mental health over my romantic and sexual relationships. And I think that sentence right there is fantastic. And then it maybe begs the question of, well, okay, then how? What is that going to look right? like? Yeah, exactly. What does it look like? Is it just not making your like every free day on your calendar available to partners? Is it specifically about I'm not going to spend as much money on dates because I need to have money for therapy, you know, or, or, you know, for other types of self-care. Is it, you know, is there a specific relationship that's maybe consistently harmful to your mental health? In which case, okay, yeah, maybe a boundary is appropriate there to go. That's not a type of relationship that I deserve to be in. And so I'm not going to. But right, it's kind of asking those questions of how can you how can you make this true for yourself? How can you prioritize this? Is it just about expressing that to partners? Is it just being more firm with partners about saying no to things? Or is there some kind of support that you specifically 
want from a partner, in which case it's, well, let me express that. And hopefully if this partner cares about me, they're going to do what they can to provide that. Right. I just, I, I guess my, my sense of this question would be to really encourage asking those kind of other questions rather than just how do I refine a boundary, but like, yeah, let's get into what, what do you really want? How can you make that so, and it doesn't have to be with these hard and fast boundaries necessarily. Yeah, the framing of the initial part of this question makes it feel slightly like this person might be in a relationship where their partner isn't prioritizing their mental health or they're prioritizing themselves over a mental, the mental health of their partner, I guess. But, but that may not be the case. So I guess that is the question of what is the reality here? And to also know, I mean, I like to... As difficult as it can be at times, I'd like to think that our partners and the people with whom we're romantically involved have our best interest at heart. And so, you know, the way in which we communicate our needs to them is coming from a place of love and care and respect. And they are also, you know, trying to meet our needs from those same places. And so I agree with Jace and Dedeker on the fact that like a boundary, we wouldn't be butting up against that over and over again in a loving and health and healthy relationship, but rather, you know, those things are addressed in initial stages and they can morph and change and move throughout the course of a relationship, but that we come at you know, our interactions with our partners with those ideas in place that that let's start from a place of love as opposed to a place of this person is violating my boundary or violating me. You know, that may be the case, but if we can assume good intentions first, that's always like a nice place to start from. Yeah. So I don't know that this is a, a complex question and I think it's very specific to the individual, but those are hopefully some things to think about. Awesome. And before we go on to a few more questions, we're going to take a quick break to talk about the sponsors for this show. Taking a moment to listen to our sponsors really does help us a lot, especially if you want to check them out, because it's very important to us that this podcast remains available to everyone for free. And the way that we do that is with having advertisers and of course, with support from you on Patreon. So take a moment to check these out if any of them seem interesting to you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, so now let's switch gears with a question about gift giving. So Ooh. the question is, traditional anniversary gifts feel kind of old school for modern relationships. Are you aware of any gift guides out there for people who aren't on the relationship escalator? I and, looked <laughs> yeah. I looked up some <laughs> gift guides and I couldn't find any. I was like, gift guides for people not on the relationship escalator, which... Garnered I nothing. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't think of a least least successful you know, <laughs> Google search term. Search term. Yeah. Someday, you know, Wirecutter, which is tied to the New York Times, they make yeah. like great gift guides all the time and very, very hyper-specific gift guides as well. And so maybe someday someone at Wirecutter will create this very list. But oh, yeah, uh, I, today is not that so, day. I actually not too long ago was looking for these types of, you know, anniversary type gifts. I mean, I generally do that minimum once a year, <laughs> probably more often than that. <laughs> also, like for, you know, around the holidays or whatever, if you're looking for a, a Christmas gift for a couple, for example, like for your parents hmm. or, or you know, friends that kind of you see more as a couple or something like that, it's hard because so much of the stuff is like really based around 
kind of the like identity of possessiveness that like, you know, the his and hers towels. I mean, not to mm. mention like super, you know, gender normative heteronormative yeah. and gender normative and all that. So like it, it's yeah, I, I was surprised actually just this last holiday season when I was looking through those of just how prevalent that is. And I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. Really, that's on me. That's my bad. I shouldn't have been surprised. But but let's talk a little bit about, since we don't have a list to give, maybe what are some ideas? Yeah, I, I gifts are definitely one of my love languages. I love gifts. Yes, Emily's great I, with gifts. Uh, well, I just have gifts in my mind that are very tailored to the specific person. Something that they'll use, like like one of the early gifts that I gave Jace, and also that I gave my current partner Josh. I recycled this, but it was a decanter <laughs> set because both of oh, them yeah. like drinking whiskey. So yeah, I, I mean, it's very nice, like crystal decanter with glasses. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that you know, with a like a specific bottle of your favorite whiskey or something along those lines. I think there are other things that can be more tailored to your specific relationships. Something that I got for my partner when I was going to go to China again is something called a love box. And maybe we can provide a link to this, but I love this. This is not a sponsored promotion, by the way. This is just something Emily likes. I just really, it's really cute. It's like a little box with like an, an eight bit heart on it. And the heart moves around to tell you that a message has been received to the box and you can like spin the heart to fill up a meter on an app that says like i love this person it'll be explosion of hearts in on the (laughs) app which is really cute and you open it up and then you'll see like a picture or a little message or something along those lines from a partner and because it's an app related thing i think that you could use it with multiple partners without necessarily like needing to get multiple boxes, like one partner could send you something and another partner could send you something to the same box. So anyway, that that's a fun little gift idea, especially if you're going to be in a long, in a long distance relationship of some sort, just to kind of have a special way to show that you love someone. Yeah. So I really focused on this part of the question that's specifically about people who are on the relationship escalator. And so in my mind, I'm taking that to mean gifts that are special and meaningful, but maybe aren't necessarily like traditionally romantic or whatever. Or or I'm thinking maybe it is traditionally romantic, but it's for someone where you're not necessarily intending we're going to be married and have kids and like Mm. all the traditional relationship escalator stuff. So that kind of makes me think in two different directions. You know, on the one hand, Sam Cat, who we had on the show a few months ago now, is very into creating creative companionships in particular as a subset of polyamory. And so talks a lot about like gifting art supplies or the gift of creating art together which i thought is really interesting that's going to depend on if the person is into art or not (laughs) but i think that's really really interesting i'm also a huge fan of gifting experiences yes thank you i was just gonna say that too and so that can mean it's an experience we do together like going to a concert or going to a workshop or something like that or it could be i'm going to gift an experience just for you like a spa day or or i'm going to gift an experience for you for you to pick who you want to go with, mm. potentially. Like, I think that's a very non-monogamy friendly move as yeah. well. It could be, I'm going to gift something that you could bring another partner to if you want. Or maybe I'm going to gift you the experience of you and multiple partners, all of us together, able to do this particular thing. Of course, it's going to be limited to like how your polycule functions and budgeting and things like that. And then to go hard 180 on that in the opposite okay. direction. I gave Jace a ring last year. Yeah. I'm, not I'm kind not of as part of, of it, actually. <laughs> I want a fucking ring. Not from you, but from my part. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I mean, if you want I to give gave, <laughs> I gave Jace a ring, not in any kind of this is going to mean something in particular or as a marriage proposal or things like that, but just because it's like, this is nice, you know, and maybe it can be like a little bit of a symbol or maybe not. Like, you know, you can kind of interface with this ring however you like. You know, I even consulted with him for like picking it out, you know, of what he would want and stuff like that. I didn't like spring it on him or anything like that. And I've in the past also asked for that kind of jewelry from partners. Again, not as a this means we're moving up the escalator. Or this means there's a particular commitment or 
anything like that, but just kind of this is nice. And so I guess you could look at this multiple ways of either gifting stuff that seems relationship escalatory in a context that is very intentionally not that, or gifting stuff that that isn't traditionally relationship escalatory. Yeah, this reminds me of a conversation that I had years ago with a friend of mine who was, you know, newish to polyamory. I was I was also, I guess, newish at the time, maybe the first few years or so. But he was kind of lamenting that he felt like polyamory took away his ability to be romantic. And he and he really likes romance and kind of the the whole, you know, being romantic to a partner and stuff. And he felt like with polyamory because you're you're there's like a lot of things that you ideally don't want to be saying you know that the sort of typical tropes of like you know you complete me or you're my one and only or you're the best of all or, or like those kinds of very monogamous centric statements and i remember spending some time you know thinking about it and talking about it with him where i'm just sort of like yeah maybe there's certain sentiments that at least personally i would argue are like not even the best, most romantic sentiments you could have come up with in the first place. But I'm like, sure, there's certain things that it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe those are not great options anymore. But it got me thinking about like, what are the very romantic, meaningful things that we can do that's kind of about us and our connection that doesn't have to be about the relationship escalator in terms of like, oh, this is because now we're living together or having more like co-identity or something right like like with the ring thing Dedeker mentioned you know for some people that might be like "Ooh, that's too close to like the now my identity's wrapped up in kind of who i'm symbolically attached to or something but there's a lot of other things that you can do like i personally personally love personalizing stuff <laughs> and this is a lot easier to do now with uh, etsy you know there's a lot of people who can custom make things for you right so it could be you know, glassware with engravings on it or, you know, some... There's, the map thing is in here that I also put. It's like a map of like where we met or you can do like oh, a yeah. glass okay. of like a specific map section of where you met, like in a city or whatever. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Or like if you have a particular inside joke, you know, like getting that like cross-stitched or something for them to put up, you know, it's like those silly unique things that at least for me i know when i get that sort of kind of weird random but very specific gift it, it is like that wow this is awesome and really meaningful and special or maybe it's about some fandom that you have in common or something and if you want to make it a bigger deal because it's an anniversary then maybe it's like that kind of slightly higher price item or something that involves like you have to order it well in advance. Like with a lot of custom stuff on Etsy, they might not be that expensive, but it might take them like a month to ship it. So kind of showing that you did that work ahead of time to get that made, I think is part of the part of the gesture, part of what makes it romantic. All right, let's move on to our next one. I am ready to unpause a romantic relationship with my long-term partner after pausing due to feeling overwhelmed by potentially being trauma bonded. What advice would you give someone looking to try again with a more free relationship structure? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. The first thing that I want to point out is, again, without knowing a lot of the context behind this question, I would want to commend the question asker and their partner for, sounds like having quite a lot of emotional awareness around this, you know, and some discernment around, hmm, you know, maybe we need to be re-examining the foundation of our relationship and why it is that we're in a relationship in the first place. Like that sounds to me like a lot of maturity and, you know, a, a lot of some good skills here for being able to do this. So I think that's great already. The second piece of advice that I would give would be this sounds like a great conversation to have with um, a couple of therapists. And by a couple of therapists, I mean, like, this could look a number of ways. It could be both of you as individuals seeking individual therapy and kind of getting to the bottom of why did I get into this relationship? What drew me to this person? What do I know about my trauma or our shared trauma? What can I unpack here? You know, doing that healing work. 
this could potentially be a conversation with a therapist or counselor together as well. That this seems to me, I know that therapy or counseling isn't always easy or accessible to a lot of folks, but this does seem like this could be something that could be helpful to bring in a professional or at least bring in a third party to help the two of you reflect on exactly what's going on, where things may have gone wrong or where things weren't working and what needs to be in place for it to feel a little bit better in the future. I think even if people come back together after moving apart, you know, that can look a variety of ways. And it may still mean that the relationship has de-escalated in some fashion or doesn't look exactly like it once did. You know, I this obviously wasn't the same situation, but Jace and I, you know, very much like transitioned and changed our relationship from how it once looked to how it currently looks. And that, in my opinion, even took a lot of different iterations to even get there. Uh, And I think people just have to be aware that like relationships will always move and morph over time and that that's okay. And I agree that having a third party, an objective third party in some way can be super helpful with that, but I also think an awareness of knowing that so many of us, you know, want our lives to look the way that they once did and that it's difficult to feel like we don't want to immediately go back to that and, and immediately try to like rush into a situation to recreate our bond or our lives or our relationship to look the way that it once did. And I think we have to accept the fact that things change and they morph and especially like around the pandemic i've had to kind of tell myself that a lot that my relationships with even friends or my partner or the people around me is just fundamentally different than it used to be i i don't i don't leave the house nearly as much as i used to and that's okay and that's perhaps just a part of my life that's over now and i I think in a situation like this that's also potentially okay. And to allow that and mourn the loss maybe, but also be excited for the future. Something that jumps out to me from this question is the last sentence says, what advice would you give someone looking to try again with a more free relationship structure? And so that that to me kind of implies that either this was more monogamous or or some kind of open relationship, but they want to do something that's kind of more open now, maybe more relationship anarchy or not cohabiting or, or something. I don't know the specifics, right? But I'm assuming this involves not only unpausing, but also kind of restructuring that relationship. And I think that what's what's worth noting is that kind of Emily pointed out there's some challenges there of like, you'll kind of want to go back to the way things used to feel, or maybe your partner will want things to go back to how they used to feel or how they used to work. And that can be a challenge. But on the other hand, you, by having that pause, have also kind of disrupted some of those patterns and those habits that you had, which I actually think really opens you up to having an easier time of transitioning to a different type of relationship Hmm. than if you had tried to just straight transition while while keeping the relationship going at the same pace it was. So just just to kind of keep that in mind is maybe something a little bit encouraging too. I don't want this to all be just doom and gloom that this is going to be so hard and it's going to take so much time. But you also kind of have this awesome opportunity to have like have a little more distance coming in and getting to really look at, you know, what do we want? What do what do I want? What do you want? How do those line up? And I mean, like, gosh, I don't want to like end up back in in bummer territory, but I actually see this as a positive, which is, and if those things don't line up, that's also okay. And the fact that you've been paused a while makes that a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? You're kind of able to come back and renegotiate that so that it's not so much that um, we're trying to change and well, what if we don't want to change together then we have to break up like you're kind of not quite as entangled as you were which I've found at least can make those conversations a little more honest and a little more open you know maybe something like going through the relationship anarchy smorgasbord 
And even just looking at that of like, what pieces do we really want? Like, what what are the things that we want in this relationship? Or, you know, doing things like going through a radar type discussion where you could have this like, let's review what's what's been going on in your life since we stopped being as in touch. Here's what's going on in mine. Let's kind of talk through these points. And as part of that, look at how would we want this to look? What What would be great? Not just like, what are we okay with? But like, what would be great? What would what was the question you asked me today, Dedeker? Oh, what sounds wonderful? What sounds I wonderful? Love that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Just sounds... Yeah. Wow. What what sounds wonderful? It's what a really a simple question but can really help with making some decisions sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, our last one that we're going to get to for this episode today, what are some ways to bring excitement back into a relationship once the initial rush of NRE has started to fade? And boy, oh boy, I feel like yeah. there's just been billions of dollars poured into that industry and a lot <laughs> yeah. of not even poured in. Yeah, yeah. not non-monogamy related, but other, right. yeah, even traditional yeah. relationship related. Yeah. So uh, we're going to have to make some assumptions here because bringing excitement back, that's that's a phrase that can cover a lot of ground. It can cover everything from how do I get myself to be really eager to have sex with my partner again or to get aroused super easily again with my partner or it can refer to how do I get that fluttery butterflies in the stomach kind of feeling with my partner again or how do I feel in love with my partner again so we're gonna have to make some assumptions it's kind of hard to do blanket advice that you know is applicable to all of those but I can talk about some of the few things that came to mind in first reading this question. So first, I think we need to set up some expectations around this in the sense that purely from a chemical perspective in your brain, it's really hard to recreate that chemical rush in an already bonded relationship. It's not to say that it doesn't ever happen, like you never feel those particular mix of chemicals in your brain again for a particular person, but it's just this is like a, a biological process that happens in our bodies and it's hard to recreate when the conditions aren't exactly right, you know. And so and I'd argue you wouldn't actually want that. Yeah. So that would just and be really kind of a pain in the ass. That's really? the kind yeah. of thing is sometimes to when someone hasn't actually life. yeah, felt NRE in a while, they forget that yeah, NRE is great and it feels like a real natural high, but also there's a deep crash from that high when you're not around the person that you're really obsessed with, there can be a lot of anxiety. Do they like me back? Do they like me as much as I like them? Did I say that thing wrong? Oh my God, are they actually rejected? You know, there's also a lot of second guessing and anxiety that goes along with that. And it is also just straight up exhausting on your body and your brain. That's why it fades over time because it's not sustainable. It's actually a good thing for it to fade over time. So what that means though, is that you can shift your focus a little bit to looking at what are the good things and the things that do feel good in my relationship, even though we're not in NRE anymore. Because there's a lot of really good bonded energy. Uh, For me, I just think about the way that my body feels when I'm close to, like physically close to a partner, like touching a partner, whether it's sexual or not, around someone that that I'm just really, really comfortable and close to and and trust and feel safe with, where that's different from the rush that I might get you know, cuddling or having sex with someone who's brand new, but then it's like different muscles in my body are able to relax and be present and be there and feel really loved. So, so that's, I think that's kind of step one is like changing some of what we're focusing on here. I think in terms of having feelings for a partner, sometimes we do, there is a tendency, especially in long-term relationships to potentially take a partner for granted. And I think there are potential ways to combat that. And many of them have to do with focusing on your own interests and your own other friends and other relationships and family and things like that. Because I do think that in a lot of ways, like absence can make the heart grow fonder. You can have moments of missing a person and then coming back to them and and reigniting that excitement. But also, you know, on the flip side of that, sometimes more entangling is not a bad thing either. There are moments of, you know, let's 
try to figure out ways to entangle ourselves in really meaningful ways and really having, you know, very intentional time together. Or I think even like in the case of the pandemic, I spent more time with my partner than perhaps I ever have. And I think that it brought a relationship more close than I have ever had it be. And that was really cool. That's been a really amazing part of, I think, my trajectory with him. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think assess both of those options because they're available to you. And sometimes you have to figure out what is it that is going to make this uh, feel meaningful and exciting to me again. Yeah, something I like to recommend to people is being intentional about finding ways to inject playfulness and adventurousness into your relationship. And by adventurousness, I don't mean just like wild sex or things like that. Like really what play and adventure is about is putting yourselves in a situation where I don't know what's going to happen next, but I suspect it's going to be good, you know, but I suspect that something wonderful is going to happen. And that can be as simple as we're going to drive halfway across town and try a totally new restaurant that we've never been to before. And maybe that doesn't sound like a huge adventure, but it it creates those conditions of we're together and we don't know what's going to happen next. We're discovering it together and we think it's going to be good. Or maybe it'll be so bad that we'll laugh about it. But, you know, it's kind of like creating those sort of, yeah, those novel experiences together can help to stimulate some of those feelings as well. And then also another one of my favorite tips is just kiss for seven seconds. That's a Gottman one. Whoa. No, it's, there is something about that. Like, because I think they found that in their research or they cited other research that if you actually give it seven seconds, like actually like. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually it's going to go to that. that I mean, there's something about, there is something about it. It doesn't have to be a seven second make out. It doesn't have to lead to sex, but it also is different from just a quick peck that I think we're used Mm -hmm. to doing in a more long-term relationship that just, I don't know, it just feels nice. And it, it's kind of like you, it gives your brain time to actually wake up to, ooh, this is, oh, this is actually hey, nice. Kissing. Oh, hey. Yeah. Yeah, I guess just a couple other things I wanted to throw into the conversation. One is a one that actually a doctor of all of ours in the past, a chiropractor in LA, Dr. Mike, a piece of advice that he gave to me and Emily like years and years and years ago. He was giving you you two oh, from yeah. relationship advice. I'm not at all surprised. He gives all yeah. kinds of Knowing advice that, about yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, <laughs> just kind of general life advice. But his was mm-hmm. about exercising together, doing some kind of exercise mm. together. He's like, because when you were originally being attracted to each other, you were like smelling each other's pheromones and you're all up in that. And sometimes when we just sort of live our lives in parallel, we can kind of lose out on that. So he was saying that's a way to kind of, you know, you're sweating a little bit, there's something going on to just kind of remind your brain or whatever, like, this oh is yeah. sexual hey, being. Yeah, this is someone that I'm into. So that's, that's one thing to throw out. Then the other is to just continue on what Dedeker said about doing new things, right? Of of finding some kind of like adventures or or things like that to do. And I think that one is huge because part of that NRE excitement is the fact that it's all new, you're discovering. And so now you get to discover things together. And so I think part of the the trick with that is being sure to pick things that sit in a good area like in between what's comfortable and what's totally uncomfortable right it's like be pushing yourselves a little bit whether it's like we're gonna go to this event you know in a different town and you know just make up fake names for ourselves (laughs) right i don't know i'm just i'm making something up here right but it's like ooh, we're in on this thing together it's a little scary what if we screw it up but honestly like you're not hurting anyone there aren't actually bad consequences if you get found out except maybe some embarrassment you know john and julie gottman talk about you know going on dates and like pretending that they're spies or like going and you know when they were broke they would go and get like a drink at the lobby of a really nice hotel so that they could kind of pretend that they were you know fancy and could afford this expensive hotel even if they couldn't at the time but it's like looking for what are those little things that you can do that are just like a little bit unknown a little bit scary a little bit challenging that you get to do together yeah right 
like maybe a year ago when things were starting to open up again for the first time, my partner and I went out on a date to a restaurant and got, you know, gussied up and stuff for the first time in over a year. And it was really alluring and sensual (laughs) in a way that like, I don't know if any other restaurant experience has been in quite the same way. And Mm -hmm. I think it was just that novel, you know, this is something that we haven't done in so long. And it was, it was really awesome. And just getting to see someone across the table from you in low light looking beautiful <laughs> like it was yeah. it was just really stunning and and yeah i i will remember that for quite a while mm. yeah actually that's that's another one that this is something that dedeker and i have done for a few years which is to be sure that at least like maybe once a month or so we're doing some kind of a date where we get dressed up for each other even yeah. if it's just at home even if it's just at home, of just doing something where you're kind of putting in that extra effort like you might on a first or second or third date or something like that is is really exciting. So I definitely recommend that. Wow. Well, we hope that you all really enjoyed this. I don't know. I love just like being a little off the cuff and reading what people are interested in and, and getting to answer y'all's questions because I'm sure many of these things that came up for everyone today are things that maybe some of you out there are also struggling with and have questions about. So let us know what you think about this. We're doing another one next month and we'll kind of see from there how we're going to evolve this and if we'll continue to do it uh, at later dates. So our question for this week's Instagram story is, what question would you like us to answer on a future episode? Yeah, let us know. Maybe we'll answer one eventually. We'll see. So the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balmanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Onan from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.